Thank you for coming to the podcast. It's Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com, and we are brought to you by the world's strongest, most delicious coffee. I'm talking about banned coffee. It's very sad. Right now, there's a caffeine war taking place in the world of coffee, but Band is winning the war, offering 237 milligrams of caffeine. If you're looking for the strongest, best-tasting coffee, you need look no further. Banned coffee is the answer. And they have a tremendous offer for you. Listeners of our show get 20% off right now by going to bandcoffee.com, entering in promo code TOPTURTLEMMA, all one word, not case sensitive, because that's how we roll. And you will get 20% off the world's strongest, most delicious coffee. Don't miss out. I know we have a lot of coffee drinker listeners out there. Listen, if you're not a lazy lima bean, if you're one of those people that actually does stuff during the day, wakes up early, goes to work, lives a high-impact lifestyle like those adrenaline junkies and point break, you're going to need something to get you through the day. Banned coffee is your answer. We are also brought to you by Sisu Mouthguard. Sisu makes the best mouthguard on the market for high-impact sports or activities. You can head on over to SISUGuard.com. Find the right mouthguard for your sport or activity. I highly recommend the MaxGuard if you do a high-impact sport like, I don't know, say boxing, wrestling, MMA, submission grappling, what have you. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink. All with the mouth guard in your mouth. It is a feat of science, a feat of ingenuity. It is a feat of mouth protection. That's SISUGuard.com for the best mouth guard ever invented. Banned coffee and Sisu Mouth Guards brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, which starts right now. We are rolling. I am David Tremonti, joined as always by my co-host Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. Thank you so much for listening. FlowCombat.com is the mothership. We're also available wherever a podcast is being streamed, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, just to name a few. If you're new to the show, here's the quick snapshot. We're two fight fans who love talking fights, and we're not here to waste your day and try to make you LOL and talk about our personal lives. This is an MMA podcast by MMA fans for MMA fans, and we love to just get right into it without wasting any time. So, Gumby, let's talk about the fact that Max Holloway is your legit, undisputed UFC featherweight champion. He beat Jose Aldo in the third round via TKO at UFC 212. Your thoughts go. It, it's crazy to me because it, it feels like it's the first time I've ever seen Jose Aldo beaten. And, and you know, I might be... What about Conor McGregor? Yeah, you know, I'm, I might be in the minority on this, but, like, when we watched him get starched by Conor in 13 seconds, and everybody will always talk about the 13 seconds, it, anybody can get caught, right? It's MMA. There are people with good punching power out here. This is the first time we've seen him dismantled. And, and that's what he was. He was dismantled by Max Holloway. You know, it's funny because in the first round, I was like, I, I thought this was Jose's fight, to be quite I, honest I gave the with first you. to Jose, and I said maybe... The, the second was kind of up in the air, but I maybe give the second to Jose, too. I, I thought he looked great in the first round. I thought towards the end of the second round, I thought his hands did lower a bit, and I thought he might have tired. I think what happened was, and Brian Stan pointed this out, Holloway got into that rhythm in like the middle of the second he, round. He found his home for his, his combos. Right. And uh, it was just so crazy to see this once king of the featherweight division. Uh, and then you have to give it to Max Holloway. This was his... 11th. What's that? 11th. Did I say it right? Yes. 
It was his 11th win in a row, finally, the undisputed featherweight champion. And you have to go back to his loss to Conor McGregor that kicked off this 11th fight. 2013, I believe that was. Uh, Unbelievable career he's had at this point to to have to win. uh, So his 10th win in a row was for the interim title. If you're one of those people who doesn't like to count interim titles, I get it. But It took him him 11 fights then to get the undisputed, which is crazy. And it brings up a great point, right? Because we have Vulcan Ozdemir on the show this week who is 2-0 in the UFC at the light heavyweight division. He's going to fight Jimmy Manoa at the end of July. And with with a win, he could be looking at a title shot based off three wins in the light heavyweight division. In almost a quarter of the time. (laughs) And and you look at what Max Holloway had to go through. Why do you think, Gumby, it would take someone so long as Max Holloway to get to the top, whereas someone like a Vulcan Ozdemir, or you you look at a Brock Lesnar, and this obviously comes down to dollars and cents, he got his title shot against Randy Couture after what two fights uh Heath Herring and Frank Mir yeah I, I think it comes down to uh, I would say maybe maybe two different things I would say the first thing is is it seems like uh a lot of it has to do with divisional like power where the division is at the time yeah right? and, and if you look at the light heavyweight division I mean Vulcan Ozdemir I mean he's a beast I mean that that knockout of of Misha Serkinov you know not enough could be said about the power he put in that punch but it's a weak division right now. I mean, like, there's not a lot of big power if you look at it 1 through 15. You know, 1 through 15 doesn't well, scare me. You look at featherweight, that's different. You know, like, 15 is like, I, I don't know what the UFC rankings look like well, right now, first but it's of all, probably Mirsad Bektik or somebody crazy like that. At the lighter weights, there's also, you know, 45, 55, 70, there's like 70 fighters yeah. per weight class. Whereas at light heavyweight and heavyweight, the UFC obviously has a little more trouble filling those rosters out. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of massive people who are highly skilled at MMA just walking around the planet. But, you know, you look at what Max Holloway has had to do. The loss to Conor McGregor a few years ago, he then reels off 11 wins. I'm just so impressed by this, and it reminds me a lot of really Tony Ferguson, too, who's on sitting on, what, an eight-fight win streak at the 155-pound division right still now. Still doesn't have a title shot. And still doesn't have a title shot, although he is in the mix. He was almost fighting for an interim title shot. But, you know, I think this speaks to the depth of the UFC now, too, whereas, you know, a few years ago, like, let's say GSP when he came in, there were the legends. It was a very heavy top of the division with BJ Penn, with Matt Hughes. There wasn't so much of a middle class, I'd say. So when like a GSP came in and he reels off a couple of wins, you just knew destined for a title shot. Well, right? I, I think you saw that too with Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva came in. I want to say his first fight was against Chris Lieben. It was. Yeah, and he beat Chris Lieben and instantly he's like in talks for a title shot. It only took one. The, these because you like knew. You I knew that guy was destined, whereas somebody like Cody Garbrandt had to rattle off a ton before anybody started talking about it. I think the divisions at this point in the UFC are very uh, – there's a lot of depth to them. So L- let me ask you this, though. Do you think that that's a good thing or a bad thing? Because on one set side, you're getting the best fighter, right? You you have to have a fighter put together 8 to 10 before we're really convinced they get a title shot. But in the same sense, like – is it demeaning that they have to wait that long? Is it like upsetting that you can't get to the top faster? Well, then you, that's a good question because Max Holloway beat some quality competition, Cub Swanson. I think it was the manner in which he was beating some people. He had a lot of decision wins in that 10 fight win streak to get well, to the, and the freak, shot. freak Nick neck injury to Charles Oliveira. Right. Whereas Connor's sleeping people and he gets a title shot in five fights. Yeah. So maybe that's the second criteria. So we talked about the, I mean, the fact that the divisions are stronger and it's how you're finishing people. 
I would also say economic factors, too. You look at, like, again, we cited it, Brock Lesnar with all the fans he brought over from WWE. He gets a title shot quick, quickly. Conor McGregor has a whole country behind him. So they run a show in Dublin uh, in July of 2014. They see the reaction that he gets when he beats Diego Brandau and dollar signs go off in their eyes. When you have a whole country behind you, and I think Dana White's even said this before, when you have a whole country behind you, you know, you're going to get a little bit more of a marketing push. Yeah, but it, again, it's weird, though, with Ozdemir, though, too, because, right, like, does it feel like Switzerland is behind him or there's like a big Switzerland marketing push? Well, here's the thing with Ozdemir. John Jones uh, is John Jones and he was out of the rankings. And then you had this perfect storm where Bader goes to Bellator and Rumble retires and... Uh, did uh, I don't you have little nog and Shogun who are still big names it, it was easier for Ozdemir to somehow just sort of fall into the top five also I think they took Misha Serkinov out of the rankings they did yeah. because he was in a contract dispute the rankings are bullshit yep. we can all agree on that but you know Ozdemir's rise here it's uh it's pretty weird yeah and, and and on top of that too I, th I think you made a kind of a good point earlier when you were talking about who Brock Lesnar fought I think Ozdemir has a kind of a similar thing here because he took that short notice fight with OSP. The only two people on his record, and, and he's only got two fights in the UFC, the only two people on his record are pretty big names. I mean, there's some pretty killers in the in the, the 205 I, I, division. I would call them OSP and Misha Serkinov at this juncture, the upper middle class of that division. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe even, I mean, top 10 guys probably. Uh, you know, it's also interesting. Uh, your guy Maurice Smith, the kickboxer, got a title fight in his first fight ever in the <laughs> UFC, but those were in the, the early days. The dark and, days. Yeah, of 1997, so we won't count that. Well, we've, we've said his name enough here, Gumby. We've said the name Vulcan Ozdemir and much like Candyman, he just shows up when you say it so many times. Let's go to our interview with Vulcan Ozdemir. This is brought to you by Band Coffee. Band Coffee makes the strongest, most delicious coffee in the world. More caffeine than any other coffee maker. Head on over to BandCoffee.com. Enter in promo code Top Turtle MMA, all one word, not case sensitive. That's how we roll. Get yourself a 20% discount. Band Coffee brings you our interview with UFC fighter Vulcan Ozdemir. David Tremonti here with my co-host Daniel Gumby Vreeland on Flow Combat's Top Turtle MMA podcast, and we have the pleasure of talking to fast-rising light heavyweight Vulcan Ozdemir, who fights Jimmy Manoa on UFC 214 in a very high-profile bout with title implications in the division. Vulcan, uh, first and foremost, thank you for coming on. You're coming off a massive win over Misha Serkinov, a knockout in the first round, 28 seconds in. Let's start with this. When that shot landed on Misha Serkinov, were you surprised it knocked him out, or did you just know right away that was the knockout shot? Yeah, I felt the punch. I felt the connection. So, as you might know, like, every time, you know, you knock somebody out, you feel like a lightning, something like a feeling inside your, inside, your, inside your hand, and I felt it, and I, and I knew right away. So, I was able to, to, to follow him pretty fast, you know, with the ground pound, so... Yeah, I did feel it, but I, I was also surprised. Yeah, and in that interview right before the fight, you told us that you were going to knock him out. Did you expect it to be so fast or on like a counter punch like that, or were you expecting a, a little bit more drag him out, uh, knock him down fight? Uh, I always try to, to finish my fight pretty fast, and actually I always did it. You know, it's, it's not something uh, that, that wasn't my, my, my quickest fight. 
So it's something I always like to do, and I think I, I, I find my old self in that fight again, you know, finishing people maybe in one minute or two minutes. And that's, that, that was something I really wanted to do. So, so yeah, it is. Yeah, now there was, I mean, almost from the bell, there was like straight fire in that fight. You know, you guys both came out. He, he kind of actually was pressuring you first. Did you feel under pressure there? Were you surprised that you know, the fight escalated as quickly as it did? Were, were you tense in that moment as he started to kind of come in with that blitz? No, it was everything was fine uh, for me. Uh, I was under control, and I, I knew he wanted he, he would love to test himself against me, uh, maybe to to prove his striking abilities. So that was something I was also uh, expecting. Now they, this has to be said. All right, you're two and zero in the UFC. Uh, win over OSP, a win over Misha Serkinov, who at the time was 4-0 in the UFC, and really a rising prospect that it felt like the UFC was putting their marketing machine behind. And then, you know, you knock him out, huge win. And now here you are, and they want to book you against Jimmy Manoa, who's been talked about almost all year after his win over Corey Anderson, as a potential next title challenger. I guess my first question to this is, how does this all feel right now? It's all happened so fast for you. It's fast, but it's been a long time process. I've been trying to, I've been trying to, to build uh, my career, build some fights, you know, train a lot. I've been training all my life for, for this moment, and everything is happening. So right now, so I don't wanna, I don't wanna take my time. I wanna, I wanna go straight for, for the belts. I wanna, I wanna fight as much as I can. I wanna take the toughest guy in the world, and I, I'm not here to play safe, you know. So. So it's perfect for me. Well, that was actually my second question, which was, was there any hesitation to being booked with Manoa so quick after this fight? Uh, did you just, you just went right for that when they offered it to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not a question about if I can beat him or stuff like that. It's just, it's just like, for me, it's a straight yes. Uh, every time you're going to ask me to fight somebody, you know, it's not about... Uh, Am I able to, to, to fight him? You know, am I able to, to win over him? I always know the answer because I'm confident in my abilities and that's something, uh, uh, it's, that's, that's something okay for me. But it's just about if I had enough time because I didn't even know when was the UFC to, to, to 214. So I, I, um, I counted and it was like eight weeks away. So it was all good for me. You know, I, I'm home now in Switzerland. I'm spending time with my family. Uh, enjoying a little bit, doing a lot of promotion for UFC in, uh, on my fight. And uh, I'll be back in uh, Florida to train again, having a nice, like a really good training camp, and it will be even better. When do you go back to Florida? When you're six weeks out? Um, I might go June 13. That was, that was what, what was planned, but maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, if I finish in all my promo before that, I, I'll go before. Understood. All right. So now let's say you get through Jimmy Manoa. Obviously, you don't want to, you know, count your blessings before they hatch. You don't want to look past your next opponent. But just what an incredible rise through the division. If you were to get past Manoa, are you you, in your mind? Are you in the mix for an immediate title shot? Obviously, Gus is also out there. But would you expect to be in, you know, maybe getting a shot against the winner of Jones versus Rumble? I mean, sorry, sure, Jones uh, versus uh, Cormier. Excuse me. Yeah, this, yeah, um, for sure. I mean, like, I don't think there is anybody else that that's been rising that fast. 
after my win uh, against Manu, I will, I will be 3-0 and, oh and I, I will have fought number six, number seven and number two in the world. And I, I will be, I, I don't think that nobody has ever done that, you know, before. So, so yeah, I mean, people will have to give me credit for that. And we'll see, you know, Gustafsson lost against both of them. So it's going to be a rematch, you know. And um, I mean, maybe maybe the division needs some new blood. So I'll be I'll be there waiting waiting uh, I'll be there waiting. Well said. Now you've had two fights in the UFC. OSP went to decision, so we got to see you for about fifteen minutes there. The Sirkinov fight was almost over in the blink of an eye. We obviously saw that you have power. Is there an aspect of your game you feel that UFC fans haven't even gotten to see yet? Is there a part of your game you feel you haven't even gotten to show off yet? No, yeah, yeah. people haven't seen my ground on yet, so. That's something really, really strong. That's one of my strongest points, too. Absolutely. So we, we also talk really quickly about that you are on the same fight card as uh, Daniel Cormier, John Jones, which you said, you know, the winner of that very well may be your next uh, opponent. What do you think about that matchup? And uh, will you be watching that fight after your fight with Manoa? Yeah, um, if I'm not celebrating, I will. Um, <laughs> and um, and uh, I think it's great, you know, um, I I just can't wait to be to be to be the one you know holding that belt. So uh, whoever will be the 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 winner that 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 night, that's going to be my next opponent for sure. Absolutely. And now, so twice we've had you on the show. Twice you've made predictions about what would happen in your fight, and twice you were almost verbatim perfect on your predictions. What happens when you step in there? What's your prediction for when you fight Jimmy Manoa on July 29th? This is going to be an explosive bout. It's going to be a knockout on the first round again. Knockout in the first round. Wow. Okay. Nothing more needs to be said. That is very exciting. Uh, Volkan Ozdemir fights Jimmy Manoa at UFC 214 on July 29th. He is 2-0 and in the UFC. Fast rising. Vulcan, we always appreciate you taking time to come on the show. We thank you so much, and we wish you the best of luck in this big fight. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the, the promotion, too. There you have it, Gumby. Vulcan Ozdemir. I, I love how, uh, of all of the fighters we had, he's the, I, I think, the the least shy in giving his predictions. And <laughs> I, I think so many people sleep on him as a contender, and uh, he seems to just keep being right. So to say first-round knockout at Jimmy Manoa, a guy who's not easy to knock out, it, I mean, it sounds crazy, but... I mean, people keep doubting them. Uh, they're definitely going to be striking, so it's it's possible. Yeah. He's two for two on predictions. I also liked uh, that he said he has yet to show off his ground and pound, so that'll be interesting to see, too, at some juncture. Yeah, and I've, I've seen him in, in some smaller promotions, and he, he's certainly right on that. His ground and pound is freaking heavy. Uh, all right, let's just go back for a second to UFC 212. In the co-main, you had Claudia Gedalia uh, getting the RNC on Karolina Kowalkiewicz. Uh What did you think of that performance by Claudia? I thought it was a good turning point for Claudia in her career because, uh, you know, we've seen her be a good grappler before, but I feel like this is the first time I saw her uh, actively seeking a finish as quickly as she possibly could. You know, like, and not saying that like maybe she's not thinking finish before, but she was like even taking risks. Like she went to the back with only a seatbelt and no hooks, 
and hung out there for a second until she could get her hooks. You know, like she didn't scramble to get to the top or she didn't make sure she had like control of some fat. She just went for it. You know, I think of JJ and Carolina as very similar fighters, uh, being from the same region of the world, both Muay Thai background. Obviously, Joanna, a, a cut above, but Carolina, I go back to this. I did think she stole at least round four against JJ and looked better than JJ in those two later rounds. I wouldn't mind seeing Carolina and JJ match up again. Now, that being said, what this fight showed me was JJ's submission defense, JJ's uh, takedown defense are really second to none because when you look at Carolina looked pretty lost there when her back got taken. I Claudia, I give her all the respect in the world. I still would like to see Claudia versus JJ part three at this point. Um, Gumby, other than that, you had, you know, 80,000 year old Vitor Belfort getting a split decision (laughs) win in Brazil over 80,000 year old, uh, Nate Marquardt. Uh, fun, fun fact here. Did you know, uh, Nate Marquardt has a knockout win over both Tyrone Woodley and Damian Maya. Oh, good call. <laughs> uh, Damian Maya in the UFC at 85, right? Yeah, and then 21 second knockout. Tyrone Woodley in Strike Force? Strike Force title in the fourth round. Yep. That's that's funny. And hey, you know who else has a win over Damian Maya and uh, Tyrone Woodley? Rory fucking McDonald. Yeah. And he's not in the UFC anymore. Uh, <laughs> other than, you know, that being third from the top and probably the biggest names. Outside of the co-main event, what's another, you know, a few days past now, what's a fight, Gumby, you would recommend a fan go back and watch or a fighter's performance you recommend a fan go back and seek out? If you are a fan of grappling, go back and watch uh, Antonio Carlos Jr., Zapato de Cara, or Cara de Zapato, uh, Shoe Face, with Eric Spicely, their first round in a leg lock battle. 50-50. I mean, just a 50-50 battle. And there were a couple of times where I thought either guy could have pulled it out. Um, and it was really, really intriguing to watch. And then, obviously, the, the high-level grappling of Antonio Carlos Jr. coming out on top. Of I was going to say, getting the rear naked choke in the second round. Yeah, he, he started putting it in places that weren't... I, I mean, you know, 50-50 is, is the name of the, the position is just exactly what it is it's a 50 50 spot he stopped going to places where he felt like spicely had any chance and he just started dominating with some top position who else gotta say brian keller i mean he he gets the win over iria contara a guillotine in the first round Uh, obviously that's huge anyway because he's a newcomer and he just beat number 13 in the world but on top of that too like I, i was impressed with the diversity of his striking his quickness um, and obviously that guillotine must be very tight for Iri Alcantara to tap out that fast. I thought he had a great angle on that. And uh, going back to the main event here as we wrap up on UFC 212, who fights Max Holloway for the featherweight title? I, I, I want to say that this is going to be Cub Swanson's fight. Um, and, and I know that some people are saying Frankie Edgar. Yeah, I go I, Frankie. I, I think Frankie... I mean, he's got a lot of fans behind him, but I feel like his last performance against Jose Aldo just looked... That wasn't his last performance. He beat the shit out of... Um... No, no, I'm not I'm not saying his last performance, but I'm saying after he fought Jose Aldo, his la- the last time he fought Jose Aldo, he just looked so defeated and overmatched every place that I still think it takes one more super dominant performance, even after that year, Yair Rodriguez won. 
one more super dominant performance before we're ready for him in a title shot again. Well, I, I'm a huge Frankie Edgar fan. I think it's his title shot, but I see what you're saying with Cub Swanson. He is on a four-fight win streak, but you know, does beating Artem Lobov via unanimous decision <laughs> in five rounds earn you Artem, a title Artem shot? Artem takes a punch, man. <laughs> yeah, I, but I'll go with Frankie Edgar beating the brakes off of Yair Rodriguez. He also beat Jeremy Stevens, too, so mm-hmm. after losing to Jose Aldo, he's on a two-fight win streak, and if you really want to peel it back... Go back to his last Jose Aldo loss in February of 2013. He is 7-1 and one yeah. since that. The, just the last another loss to yeah, Jose. Yeah, just another loss to Jose Aldo. I'm, I'm very excited to see him face someone else for the featherweight <laughs> title. Um, all right, let's turn our attention now because the UFC never sleeps. It's like Wall Street 2. All right, that was a bad movie reference. Uh, UFC's going this weekend to New Zealand and you're going to have Mark Hunt taking on the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. I really like this matchmaking, Gumby, because it feels to me like Derek Lewis is an up-and-coming Mark Hunt, just in the way they fight. Uh, I guess you could say Derek Lewis is a little better on the ground than Mark Hunt. But that being said, Lewis, a very slight favorite at minus 120. Mark Hunt, uh, you could get as a plus 100 dog. Mark Hunt is coming off a loss to Alistair Overeem via a KO knees. And, of course, he lost to Brock Lesnar last summer at UFC 200 uh it was overturned because of you know the good stuff the juice uh Brock being all juiced up so Hunt is 1-1-1 one, one, and one. he has a win over Frank Mir a no contest with Brock Lesnar and a lost Alistair Overeem in his last three kind of feels like he's at the tail end of his career to be quite honest with you Derek Lewis a fighter on the rise he is on a six fight win streak coming off a big win KO over Travis Brown in the second round of their fight in Nova Scotia earlier this year. Who you got? This, this one's tricky for me because I, I think that this fight uh, is determined by how long it lasts. Mm. If this fight is over in a round, round and a half maybe, Derek Lewis wins this fight. Um, and it's because he dragged Mark Hunt down really fast, kept him there and pounded him out. If it lasts longer than that, I think this fight favors Mark Hunt, and here's why. Uh, Even though Mark Hunt doesn't have crazy cardio, Mark Hunt does have crazy punching power even late in the fight. Um, And and to me, if if you look back at Derek Lewis's performance against Abdul Shabdurakahimov... I'll forgive you for not having perfect pronunciation. Continue. Russian names, yeah. So if you look at his his fight against him, he, he very much tired late in the fight. Both of them did, actually. And if you look at that fight, there's no way he's going to be able to do that to Mark Hunt in the fourth round, right? He he finally got him down in the fourth round and, and kind of worked him away. Mark Hunt's not the kind of guy who's like that kind of out of a fight in the fourth round. So to me, if this goes longer and longer and longer, as Lewis fails with his takedown attempts, he's just going to open himself up to a big right hand. I think you're bringing up some pretty good points. You know, uh, Derek Lewis has only seen the fourth round in one fight, and that was uh, Abdurakahimov. And yeah, that fight was awful to watch. Never want to rewatch it. Yeah, I was there live at that, and I was like, this is not what I was but, coming for. <laughs> yeah, so he's never seen the fourth round. And then you have Mark Hunt, who's been, you know, he's been in title fights. They haven't reached the third or fourth round, but he certainly trained for longer fights. And then, of course, that war with Bigfoot Silva two years ago. Yeah, I mean, he he takes beatings and he has KO power after taking the beating. And, and just to me, you know, if, if I had to make a pick, 
I would probably say Mark Hunt because I think Derek Lewis doesn't get him out of there that quick. And Mark Hunt's takedown defense is improved. I mean, it's the UFC heavyweight division. Anything can happen. We'll either get the great, craziest fight of all time or the most boring fight of all time. No in between. I'm picking uh, Derek Lewis, but I like what you're saying there. It's good food for thought. We'll go to the co-main event. You have Derek Brunson taking on Judo Dan Kelly. Uh, Derek Brunson is one and two in his last three. He beat Uriah Hall in September of 2016. Then had losses to Robert Whitaker and Anderson Silva. No shame in that, really. Some people even had him winning the Anderson Silva fight, even though it was a unanimous decision for Silva. Judo Dan Kelly is coming off the biggest win of his career. He beat Rashad Evans back at UFC 209 in March via split decision. Uh, beat Chris Camozzi before that. Beat Antonio Carlos Jr. before that. All being said, since losing to Sam Alvey, he's on a four-fight win streak. Vegas has this as Dan Kelly, the plus-230 dog, and Brunson, a very solid minus-275 favorite what do you think Uh, I'm actually gonna go with the underdog here as a a kind of a surprise pick I think Dan Kelly the 39 year old uh judo practitioner I I think what he did in the Rashad Evans fight I think bodes well for him against Derek Brunson so we all know Derek Brunson is a guy who kind of like blitzes forward has tons of aggression and we've never seen Dan Kelly fight somebody like that right you know Mm. Rashad Evans doesn't do that Kamozi doesn't do that you know Antonio Carlos Jr. doesn't do that, you know. So he's never really fought somebody like that. But in that fight with Rashad Evans, we learned just how much Dan Kelly knows about the footwork game and how to avoid people coming forward, right? Like every single time Rashad Evans came forward, he had that little trip ready for him too that he followed up with punches. So to me, I think that he is so much more cerebral in the way that he fights that – Derek Derek Brunson is going to have to take him out immediately. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I do disagree with the outcome, though. I just think Derek Brunson is uh, really, I, I won't call him an elite striker. I just think he's a damn better striker than Dan Kelly. Uh, I'll pick Derek Brunson, but I like what you're bringing up there. Yeah, do you, do you think, out of curiosity, do you think that he can get Dan Kelly out of there, or do you think he's able to win a, a three-round decision with Dan Kelly? Uh, I think he's more than capable of winning a three-round decision with Dan Kelly. I thought he almost won a three-round decision against Anderson Silva in yeah, February. Yeah, but... Uh, and- he didn't have when you're fighting Anderson Silva, who like kind of plays with you too. Not the most exhausting fight. Whereas Dan Kelly does put pressure on. You, you know, he's not like a high volume guy, but he does put pressure on. Good points all around. I'm still comfortable picking Brunson, but you're making me maybe rethink my uh, some of my parlays that I have penciled <laughs> in here. Speaking of which, Gumby, why don't you give us a fight or a fighter to watch out for on the rest of this UFC New Zealand card? Yeah, so I, I'll start with a, a fight because I think one of the most exciting fights on this card is Tim Elliott's going to fill in for Joseph Benavidez and fight Ben Wynn. Um, and to me, Tim Elliott still stands head and shoulders among a lot of people as the best chance to beat Mighty Mouse Johnson. I, I think in order to beat Mighty Mouse Johnson, you have to be in top game grappling. You're not going to outstrike him. The dude's too freaking fast. And to me, Tim Elliott is that guy who's funky enough and crazy enough in the grappling game that he could give him a good run. And Ben Wynn obviously is on an uptick too. So it's exciting to see the flyweight division like that. As for a guy to watch here, I really like Ian Kutalaba, um, the Moldovan light heavyweight. He's only one and two in the UFC, which sounds, you know, kind of lackluster in a division that like could use a couple of prospects. But his losses are also to Misha Serkinov and Jared Cannonier, 
which, you know, like, no shame in losing to either of those guys. He's like a really, really, really strong physical guy. I thought maybe he even won a round off of Misha Serkinov. He's 12-3 and in his career with nine knockouts. Um, so I, I'm definitely excited to see him in that fight. Um, he'll be taking on uh, Henrique Da Silva. So I'd keep an eye out for him and definitely watch the flyweights. All right. Well, that wraps up our coverage and preview of UFC New Zealand. We'll be back next week with another great episode. We'll be previewing UFC Singapore. We're just going all over the globe here. But we will have uh, actually two fighters from Scotland on. So we're going to be very international next week. uh, And that'll be a good preview for UFC Glasgow, which comes up later on in the summer. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. This was Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. We thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back next week.